Thank you, Dan and Parker and Ensemble and Instrumentalists for beautiful worship today. Turn your Bibles again to Peter's first epistle, the very first chapter. This is a beautiful opening by the Apostle Peter. Reminds those who have linked their lives by faith to Jesus what they have in that life, what they have in that linking to their Lord. Peter, as he gives us these words of hope and promise, he's not being naive. He recognizes there's suffering in the communities to which he writes. He recognizes their trials. He's not bringing some philosophy which says every day and every way things are getting better and better. No, he says in this world, there will be trials. But Peter has some awfully good news to share to those who are suffering in Christ Jesus. Notice how he begins there in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I love the way the New American Bible comes next. To those who reside as aliens. Another way to translate it, to those who are strangers in this world. To those who reside in aliens scattered, dispersed, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, those who are chosen. It's a powerful introduction. Peter, the apostle, the messenger of Jesus Christ, and who's he writing to? To the aliens, the exiles, the sojourners, those who have their suitcase, a small one at that, and are just traveling through. They live in a land that is not their own. They're not fully at home in the environment of this world. They don't have the rights and privileges of permanent citizens. Do you remember when Abraham was trying to buy a burial plot for Sarah? He had to make his request as an exile, as a stranger, as an alien among his neighbors, Genesis 23. Or the psalmist asking for God's favor, doing so as a passing guest, an alien like all my forebears, Psalm 39. The psalmist is saying, this is in my home. Like all my forefathers and foremothers, I'm just a passing guest in this world. The writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews 11, makes it clear that we have never really been at home, nor will we be on earth. All these died in faith, he's speaking of our forebears, without receiving the promises but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers, same word, exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Speaking of the prophets, 
the matriarchs of the faith, he says in Hebrews 11. They could see in the distance, but they were looking for another place. This earth was not their place, but rather they had a better country, a God-made place, a heavenly one. What the author of Hebrews is saying is this. The promised land never really was the real promised land. But rather, it was simply an image of the heavenly place that God has prepared for his people. Paul says something similar in Philippians 3. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform the body of our humble estate into the conformity of the body of his glory by exertion of the power he has to even subject all things to himself. Paul's saying this. Our citizenship is in heaven. We will be glorified and changed. We need to be careful about how much we begin to feel at home on earth. We build barns and then bigger barns. and We act like we're going to be here forever. But the truth of the matter is, Peter tells us, Paul tells us, the author of Hebrew tells us, the psalmist says it. We're just strangers here. We're just passing through. We are resident aliens on this planet. The story circulates about a Jewish rabbi who invited a traveler into his home. And when the traveler got there, the traveler was surprised at how simple the house was. A dirt floor, a simple wooden box, hardly any possessions. The traveler asked the rabbi, why don't you have more stuff? Where's all your belongings? Why is your house so empty? In reply, the rabbi turned the question to the traveler, where are all your belongings? Why don't you have more stuff? Oh, the guest said, I, I don't have more stuff because I'm just passing through. The rabbi replied, so am I. This earth is not my home. This earth is not my home. Peter reminds us here at the beginning of this letter that we too, like the rabbi passing through, we are resident aliens. We are strangers here. This is ultimately not our home. Someday, someone else will live in your house. Have you ever done that? I Every time I'm back in South Carolina, I drive by my childhood home. I don't know who lives there, but I have to go by it. Somebody else is in my house. Someone else will drive your car. Someone else will sit in your chair. Someone else may marry your husband or your wife when you're gone. You are just passing through. Death will snatch us away. We're merely strangers, resident aliens. Notice how they're dispersed. They're scattered is the word translated there. They're scattered throughout Pontius. They're dispersed. It's the word diaspora. Do you know that word? When the Holy Land was taken over by foreign powers, the Jews had to scatter. They're called the diaspora, the scattered people of God. And Christians took on this language of the Jews for themselves, the diaspora, the scattered people of God. 
we are. We're at home, but we're not fully at home. We're scattered. Next, notice the next word, who are chosen. So Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those strangers passing through that are scattered everywhere, you are chosen. It's a language of election. Oh, it doesn't make us arrogant or elite, for we're not chosen because of our superior qualities any more than Jacob was chosen over Esau or Israel was chosen from amongst the nations that were more powerful, had more military might and more wealth than Israel, or like Bethlehem was chosen as the birthplace of Messiah, chosen, not because of who we are, but rather the initiative of God. Sometimes we think of ourselves as the seekers or the searchers, but rather we are the ones who are found. Sometimes we think we're the ones who want to know, but rather we are really to be known by God. Paul is saying, you're aliens, you are strangers here, you are scattered all about, but you are chosen, chosen by God. It's the language of destiny. It is the power of God. Not only are you destined or chosen, but also he says, look at verse 2, you are sanctified, the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. The activity of the Spirit in our lives is a sanctifying work. Notice this language. It comes from Exodus 24, this language of pledging to be obedient, sprinkled with blood. When Moses comes down from the mount with the book of the covenant, the people pledge their obedience and they are sprinkled with the blood of the ox. God's people are resident aliens. God's people are scattered. God's people are chosen. They are destined. They are sanctified. They are obedient. They're in a covenant relationship. Peter brings good news. I think what Peter is saying to those Christians scattered all about, do you know who you are? Do you realize what you have as a child of God? Do you realize your inheritance? He's about to tell us our inheritance. Do you know where you're destined? For another land. Sometimes we are struck by dazzling personalities, by the importance of people. There was a religious convention in Kansas City, and while the men were meeting there in the convention, some of the ladies went out shopping, and they eventually made their way to an ice cream shop, and two of the Lutheran ladies saw none other than Paul Newman by himself in the corner of the ice cream shop. And no, they were not giddy like teenage girls. No, they did not run over and ask for an autograph. No, they did not introduce themselves. They had all the class. They just kept casting their eyes every second they could to look at Paul Newman as much as they could. Could it be? Is it he? Well, when they got outside, one of the ladies realized she didn't have her ice cream cone. So she went back in. She was sure she had left it in that little rack there on the counter. And, well, the attendant said, no, I have no idea where your ice cream cone is. And while she was looking everywhere for ice cream cone, none other than baby blue eyes himself walked up and said, bam, I just watched you put your ice cream cone in your purse before you exited out. 
Or Kirk Douglas tells a story of one day walking down the sidewalk. Some star-struck, glassy-eyed fan came up, looked Kirk Douglas in the eyes and said, Do you know who you are? That's what Peter's saying. Do you know who you are in Jesus? God is saying through this apostle to the Christians to whom this letter is written, do you know how blessed you are? Do you know that you are chosen by God? Do you know that you are sanctified by the Spirit? Do you know that you are sprinkled by the blood? Do you know you are selected by the Father? Do you know the inheritance he has reserved for you in heaven? Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. Now that sounds like John writing, doesn't it? The language of being born again. We're used to that kind of language in the Gospel of John. We think about John chapter 3. One must be born again. Well, God's activity comes through our new birth. And then all the way to the unveiling of our final salvation. An activity prompted by the mercy of God. We have a, a new birth. Notice what he says. The new birth, notice, a living hope, born again to a living hope, verse 3, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I'm here to say to you today, if you have responded in faith, if you have professed the lordship of Jesus Christ, if he has bid to you by his spirit and you have responded, you are chosen, you are destined for heaven as your home. That's your hope, Peter says, a hope that is grounded in nothing less than the empty tomb of your Lord through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Sometimes during dark days like the days we're in, the enemy tries to make us doubt our salvation, our destiny, that heaven is our home. Randall O'Brien, the retired president of Carson Newman College, professed Jesus Christ as a child, and then in his teenage years, he went wayward. He volunteered to for Vietnam War because he was trying to find himself and that was sort of his Egypt experience, he says. But there in Vietnam, he says, God found me. Like God found the Israelites in Egypt, God found me. Like God found the prodigal son, God found me. From the land of Vietnam and the state of sin, God delivered me and I came home fully dedicated to follow him. Returned back to South Mississippi in 1971. He said any church that would let him give his testimony that he would talk. It didn't matter what denomination it was. He spoke to youth groups and college groups and churches. And finally a little church asked him to be a volunteer youth minister. And he volunteered to do so. And then there was a crisis. He was so on fire for God. But an evangelist came to the church. An evangelist began preaching that if someone did not know when they were saved, they might well be lost. Well, he began to shout out while the choir was singing, if you were saved on Monday, stand up, and people would stand up, and then they would sing a little more. If you were saved on Tuesday, stand up, and on Wednesday, and he went through the whole week, and Randall said, I couldn't remember exactly when I was saved. 
After the evangelist left town, he began to doubt his own relationship with God, one that had been renewed there in Vietnam. And, well, he went to see Uncle Louis. Uncle Louis Smith was in his 70s, balding, slow-moving fellow. He was a volunteer music minister of the church. Randall was a volunteer youth minister. He was always with Miss Murtis, is what Uncle Louis called his wife. He went and sat there by the fireplace with Uncle Louie, and Ms. Murtis rocked back and forth doing her knitting, and Randall O'Brien just poured his heart out to this wise man in the church. He just let it all out, and when he had finished talking about his doubts with his salvation, Uncle Louie said, Do you believe that I love Ms. Murtis' son? Of course. I know you love Miss Murtis, he replied. Everybody knows that. Why else would you still be opening car doors for her 50 years later? And why would you still be referring to her as your bride? Yes, sir, I know you love Miss Murtis. How, how do you know that? I, I know that by the way you treat Miss Murtis. Everybody knows you love Miss Murtis. Well, he looked over at Miss Murtis, rocking back and forth, doing her knitting, and they both began to chuckle as if they had an inside joke. Then he said, the other day, Ms. Murtis and I were sitting right here, and we were trying to remember when it was that we first met. Do you know when that was, son? No, sir, I don't, Randall O'Brien said. Well, neither do we. For the life of me, he said, I can't remember when I first met Ms. Murtis. I can't remember when I first fell in love with her. She's always been part of my life. Now, do you still believe that I love Ms. Murtis? Oh, Randall O'Brien kind of got it. He said, and then Uncle Louie leaned forward in his chair, and he looked me straight in the eye, and he said, Son, you listen to me. I know you love Jesus, and the same way you know that I love Ms. Murtis, my your relationship with him. The Bible says we will know if we are his by the fruit we bear, not if we remember the day the tree was planted. Peter is reminding them they've begun a journey. They have a new birth. They have a hope. What is that hope based on? Look again. That hope is based on verse 3, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hope is the stuff life's made of. Hope keeps the farmer on the tractor. It keeps the prisoner alive. It keeps the student at her books. It is the, keeps the patient watching for the morning sun. Hope. Hope lets us wake up in a COVID-19 rattled cosmos and face the future with courage. Hope. Not just any kind of hope, the hope of the resurrection of Jesus. Look at verse 4. To obtain an inheritance. What's this inheritance like, Peter? It's imperishable. It's undefiled. It will not fade away. It is reserved in heaven for you. Don't worry. He says in verse 6 and 7, I know your suffering is real. You're being refined like the fire. It's the proof of your faith. Notice it results in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Christians were suffering ridicule. They were suffering embarrassment. 
They were going through trials. Jesus himself said, in this world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Notice this co-joining of strange worlds, and Peter is trials and joy. For Jesus is cheer and tribulation. Not usually partners, but in the hope of the gospel, they can be. We are children of the pilgrims. Abraham and Sarah look beyond the land to a city whose architect and builder was God. God will complete that ultimate salvation. Look at verse 8. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him. He would greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Maybe if our present crisis has done anything, it reminded us this broken place is not the ultimate home of the people of God. Maybe we were enjoying it here too much. Maybe we're building the barns and the bigger barns. Maybe things were good enough here that we needed to be reminded that we are citizens of another kingdom. We are the chosen. We are the ones who have the hope through the resurrection of the empty tomb of Jesus. We are the ones who, even though we go through suffering, we have an inheritance. Look at verse 4. It is imperishable. It is undefiled. It will not fade away. It is reserved for you in heaven. After someone passes away, people gather around and are hopeful about the reading of the will. There is no greater reading of the will than this one. You have an inheritance. It cannot perish. It cannot be defiled. It cannot fade. It cannot rot. It cannot rust. It is reserved for you in heaven. Our salvation is linked to the single event of the empty tomb of Jesus through his resurrection we are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus the empty tomb of our Lord and Savior 2,000 years ago means whatever suffering we have, we do not have to be afraid. We have an undefiled and imperishable inheritance. It cannot be changed. It cannot be taken away. As Vice President George Bush represented the United States, as Brezhnev's funeral, former Soviet Bush was deeply moved. He watched Brezhnev's widow go up to the casket. And in the final moments, right before the soldiers shut the lid on the casket, this was the czar of secularism and the secular empire that denied all faith. He watched the widow of Brezhnev do the sign of the cross on the chest of her husband before the lid was shut. The secular empire had no power in death. 
We, the people of God, we are resident aliens. This is not our home. We are scattered about over this globe to bear the hope of the gospel of Christ Jesus that we have sinned and God has loved and Jesus has died. And through the resurrection, through his empty tomb, we have an inheritance, an inheritance that cannot be taken away. It is the power of God. It is a transformation into his glory. It is imperishable. It cannot fade it is reserved for us in heaven it is the salvation of our souls and though you do not see him now you believe in him and though you do not see him now you love him oh God what a not so gentle reminder that heaven is our only true home let us pray. Oh God, through the resurrection of Jesus, we can bear all things. Through the empty tomb of our Lord, we can wake up tomorrow, even in the midst of suffering, with a living hope. Father, may we be reminded of who we are, not in ourselves, but who we are in the power of the story of the empty tomb of our Lord. We're just passing through. In Jesus' name, amen.